Good morning, Ramp Church. Happy Sunday. I, I hope everyone's doing well and having a good day. Um, I'm excited to share with you today. Um, we're doing something slightly different, uh, you know, so, so we're, we're focusing on a passage of scripture and as such, we're only going to spend time there. So if you hate turning to lots of scriptures, you're in luck. There's, a, there's only really one. We're going to be looking at James 2, verse 14 to 26. And if you like titles, this is all about what is alive faith, right? What does it mean for faith to be alive? We're going to do what's called an exegesis today, which is, I guess, for other, you know, for, for a different term, might be a Bible study. We're going to play, uh, pay close attention to this portion of scripture, read it, extrapolate all that God has for us, and apply it in our lives. So, Again, I always say it, whether you're young or old in the faith, it's time to get your Bibles out, notebooks, notepads, so on and so forth. And we're going to get into this together, right? So let's start with a prayer and then, and, and then we'll get straight in. Father, Lord, thank you so much that we have your word. In a time where we've got all sorts of ideas and things flowing around online, we have the holy, living, inspired word of God that we can, we, we, we can rely on, we can rest in. And as we consider faith, as we look at James, we pray, God, that it would come alive, that your Holy Spirit would breathe on this text, and we would be able to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Right, well, let's start by reading then, right? So, James 2, verse 14. I'm going to put my glasses on, which folks behind the camera are laughing at, because I always say my glasses make my head look rounder, right? But um, we, we won't go into that. Let's go back to the word. All right, so James 2, verse 14. That's what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and, and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what, what good is it? In the same way, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was our father Abraham not considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith, right, and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Don't we want to be called God's friend this morning? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to spies and sent them off uh, in, in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I mean, it, it's a really difficult uh, portion of scripture. I was talking to Joe about this just before. It's, it's, it's a challenging portion of scripture. So we, we've got to place close attention to it. But, you know, I'm going to just jump into the controversy, right? Rather than making you wait to the end, let's jump into the meat that people disagree over. And let, let, let's find out why they disagree. And then we'll, we'll go back and we'll start at, at verse 14 and tease some more things out there. Now, James is saying, right, that we are justified by faith. But then we hear that. Faith without work is dead. 
and then we learn that that kind of faith can't save a person, right? So, so, so the implication is, okay, cool, you've got all these moving parts, James. Well, what do they really mean? How do they all come together? This portion of scripture is so challenging that the great theologian Martin Luther actually decided that he would rather not have this portion be part of the Bible. So, so, so Martin Luther actually thought, let's just not talk about James. He famously never really preached on James. He wanted to chuck it out. But you know, I, I, I think it's, it's a bit simpler than, than, than Luther makes it. And, and here's what I think, right? Let's look at the examples of works that James gives. He talks about Rahab, the prostitute. What, what, think about it. What did Rahab do? She turned a doorknob. That's it, right? It's, it's a one-time action she did. I mean, Abraham, who we love and we talk about, and we lord as the father of our faith, what did he do here? Well, well he took his son Isaac and, and he, he offered him as a sacrifice. It's a one-time act. James isn't talking about a lifelong of works here where you're trying to impress God or buy something from him. He's talking about actions, right? He's talking about active living faith. Because you know, Rahab could have put her hand behind her back and said, yes, could I believe you? And when she heard the knock, she just said, yeah, yeah I believe you. But, but, but she opened the door, right, and welcomed folks in. And, and Abraham, in the same way, could have uh, professed to love God and professed to be in uh, communion with him, but never offer up anything in sacrifice. James is talking about this. Demons can pass theology tests, Right? All sorts of people can acknowledge the truth about Jesus. But what demons can never do is turn the doorknob of their life and welcome God in. What they can never do is offer up their lives, as we're commanded to in Romans 2, as a sacrifice to God. That's what we have a privilege of doing. So, so very quickly, you learn that the whole point of this passage, the latter stages, is to what degree are you Christian watching and listening to me right now, to what degree have you opened up your life to Jesus? To what degree have you made your life and offered it as a sacrifice? That's what he's talking about. That's what active faith does. Now, with that being said, let's get a bit closer into the Bible. Let's start with verse 14. Let's just jump straight there. Here's what he says in verse 14. James addresses this controversy head on, right? I love the logical appeal of James. It's, it's, uh, James is one of those books, it's, it's very, very logical. If you're someone who's interested in formal logic, uh, 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 James is the book to read. Very, very clear in that sense. Now, here's what he says in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims, brothers and sisters, sorry, oh my gosh, I just forgot the sisters. Please forgive me, sisters. I'll read it again. What good is it, my brothers and Sisters, sanctified, saved sisters. It doesn't say that, I just put that there. If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Very frankly, James thought it was impossible for someone to have saving faith but fail to have good works to prove it, right? He's calling out here a particular kind of faith. He doesn't say that, but, but that's what we extrapolate from that. He said, can such faith save them? He's saying, can faith that has no action, can faith in word, but not in deed, can someone who is a hearer, but not a doer, can that kind of faith save them? And he's saying emphatically through this portion of scripture, no, no, that's what he's saying. Now some context, James is writing here to folks who 
uh, are mostly Jewish, right? They, they come from a Jewish uh, culture. And, and, and they would have just discovered this justification by faith thing, this new Christian Kool-Aid. You know, you know, you're saved by faith? Oh my gosh, you can, you can, you remember when, when you first, te- you're like, what? You're saved by faith, excited. So, so you can forgive them then for because of that, that liberation, them running to an extreme, right? These are folks who knew firsthand the exhilaration of the freedom from that old system of works righteousness. And, and because of that exhilaration, there's a proclivity in them to run to the extreme. And now they're at the extreme where they go, well, works don't matter at all. All that matters is my faith in Jesus. It's all about my personal relationship. That's it. The idea that I have to do something, it it was kind of foreign to them. So James is speaking directly to this. He's saying, hey, I I know you're enjoying this, but don't discount the place of works. He's saying works are valid because they are a demonstration of faith. Right? Again, he asks that question. Can that kind of faith save? Now, some of you in here will go, Contradiction! Hold on, man. this is a contradiction. You know, this, is, this is a contradiction, right? And, and you'll say, well, well, Paul taught something totally opposite to this. And I have friends on Twitter and, and, you know, and social media who, who go back and forth doing battle over this portion of scripture, right? James is saying, faith alone cannot save. And therefore they go, well, that's a contradiction to the apostle Paul, who said explicitly we're saved by faith. I mean, technically, he said we're saved by grace through faith. But the idea is you're saved by faith. It's faith alone that saves you. But, you know, I don't think there's a contradiction. And, and, and I want to take this portion, this, this little uh, time we have together, to really help us understand this portion of Scripture and then apply it. Because, you know, the, the real test of a Bible teacher is to what degree can they help you reconcile different portions of Scripture. I'm not going to take what Apostle, uh, Apostle Paul said and use it to cancel out what James said and, and vice versa. I won't take what James says to, to do the other thing. I believe both men were inspired by the spirit of the living God. They, they, they were inspired to write these different portions of scripture. And so these scriptures are God-breathed. Paul uh, writing as much as James, all God-breathed. And so our job is to ask ourselves, how do we rightly divide scripture such that these different portions of, of uh, these different passages, we can make them come together now paul says in ephesians 2 that we are saved not by works lest that any man should boast that's ephesians 2 9 right now what james is simply doing is he's clarifying what kind of faith saves us right paul makes it clear we're saved by faith and james got absolutely but 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 let's let's get let's zone in on what kind of faith saves right we're saved by grace not by works, right? But saving grace will have good works accompanying it, right? There's a saying that, that's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's important. And it goes, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. I'll tell you one more time. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves it's not alone. Why? Because it's going to have good works accompanying it. Uh, Paul understood the important, uh, importance of works and the kind of character of faith we should have because he speaks about it explicitly. If we go to Ephesians 2.10, just one verse uh, after, here's what Paul says. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I mean, just what uh, which God prepared for us in advance. So Paul's saying there that God's actually ordained you listening to do good works, right? God's ordained for you 
uh, to do good works, for the faith you have to translate into action and good works. In Titus 3, he echoes what, what James says. Uh, Titus 3, 8, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I, want to, yeah, and I want to stress these things to you so that you who have trusted God may be careful to devote yourself to doing that which is good, that which is excellent, that which is profitable for everybody. So you see, th th there really is no contradiction. Paul is echoing what James says. James is trying to help us understand the type of faith that saves, right? And, and he's asking us that, that, that question in verse 14, to kind of get us thinking a bit, you know, what kind of faith really saves us? You listening, what kind of faith are you sitting on, right? Is it this dead faith or is it an active faith? Let's jump to verse 15. Here's, here's what he says now. So let, let's go back. So we're in James 2, James 2 verse 15, right? Here's what he says here. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. James isn't condemning saving faith here. He's condemning anybody that has hope of salvation through dead faith. A faith with no works whatsoever. Right? I mean... I love the fact that James brings us back into practical Christianity. We're not in the heavenlies, you know, meditating on, on theological truths here. We're in the practical realm. He's saying, he's saying, I remember uh, in, chapter, in chapter one of James, he talks about Christians visiting orphans, them attending to widows, right? He's talking about helping people who are in need. So in verse 15, 16, and 17, he expands that a bit. So you don't think, oh, he's just talking about orphans. No, now he's talking about people's physical needs and he's saying this if you're not moved to meet the needs of your brothers and sister then do you really have saving faith that's the question and i know it's a triggering one it's, it's it's a heavy one but but ask yourself right am i moved when i see the injustice in the world when i see the brokenness in the world which this season we're in is exposed you're watching me through a screen because right now the world literally feels like it's on fire. The question is, are you moved by that? I mean, full fact, which is a, Christian, uh, which is a charity, it's not a Christian charity, that they, they, they did some research, right, in the UK. In 2018 and 2017, 2017 and 2018, an estimated 14.3 million people were said to be living in poverty right here in the UK. This isn't some statistic about Africa or about Asia. This is right in the UK, right? 22% of people are reported that, uh, to be living in poverty and 34% of children in the UK, uh, as of 2018, were living in poverty. In England and Wales alone, 280,000 people are homeless. Christians, are you moved by that? Do you feel a need to respond to that? Only living faith feels the need to respond to that. Only living faith, James is telling us, feels something rising up saying, I've got to do something about that. 
He's using meeting the needs of people as shorthand for encouraging us who have living faith to really desire to meet legitimate human needs, right? Now in verse 16, let's look at verse 16 because he then gives a response, right, to, to dead faith, doesn't he? Are we there? Verse 16, I'm going to give you some time to turn. Really, I'm buying time so I can turn. He says, <laughs> if you meet somebody and you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but do nothing to meet their physical needs, what good is it? This is a triggering portion of scripture for me personally. Why is he saying this? Well, look at that scripture. Look at how it's composed. If you tell someone, keep warm, and I hope you're fed, it means you know their need. But rather than meeting their need, what you offer to them is religiosity, is some, some theological terms. You know their need. You said keep warm, so you know they're cold. You said keep, uh, uh, be well fed, so you know they're hungry. But rather than meeting that need, you resort to, oh, be fed. Hallelujah. Be fed. Be warm. Now, how about you take off your jacket and give it to them? That's what he's calling us to do, right? He's saying, how about you do something about that physical need? Because real faith won't be demonstrated by your prayer life all the time. It won't always be demonstrated by your Bible reading habits. It won't always be demonstrated by your grasp of difficult theological points. It won't always be demonstrated by your church attendance, right? It's demonstrated by your real and practical assistance for those who are in need. It's demonstrated for your desire to meet the needs of the world, to look at people uh, bleeding, suffering, and for you to feel something about that. Real faith is stepping out of your Christian bunker where you can turn a blind eye to suffering. Real faith is pulling away those veils that cover your eyes that, that went when, someone, when you walk past someone homeless. And instead, real faith is, are you going to feel something about that? Are you going to respond to that? That's what he's asking us. You know, I think when needs arise as Christians, sometimes we've got to pray less and do more. Sometimes we have to pray less and do more. You know, it's never wrong to pray. Never. In fact, the Bible says we should pray all the time without season, right? But it's wrong to pray as a substitute for action. Rather than meet a need, I'm just going to pray about it. That's wrong. Because if you're going to be God's hands and God's feet, you have to do something. Now, there's a great uh, theologian from Leicester called Adam Clark. And he wrote about this, as a British theologian, right? He wrote about, about this, uh, this passage. He's got a number of commentaries. And I want to, uh, uh, there's a commentary he gives about this particular scripture. Here's what he says. There's this particular verse, rather. He says, you're pretending to have faith while you have no work of charity or mercy is utterly vain. For as faith, which is a principle in the mind, cannot be discerned by but by the effect that is good works he who has no good works has presumptively no faith i mean i think he's spot on here because in verse 17 we're told in the same way faith by itself if it's not accompanied by action is dead this is not me folks i'm not trying to trigger you here this is literally what 
James says. So I want to invite you to, to ask yourself, does my faith have good works? Am I motivated to act when I see suffering? Right? Now, thankfully, James helps us clarify things as we move forward. Because he, he makes it very clear for those who are doubting that faith alone saves, absolutely, but it has to be a living faith. And he says, you can tell a faith is alive because faith that's alive is often accompanied by good works. In other words, though we are saved by faith, that faith must have works. Good works are not the root of salvation, but they are the fruit of salvation. The idea there being, if you are a true believer, then good works will follow you. Here are some helpful markers, right, of what saving faith might be. Faith, a saving faith is faith that does not look to self, but to Jesus Christ. Right? Saving faith is faith that agrees with the word of God. Saving faith is grounded primarily in what Jesus did on the cross. Saving faith is naturally expressed, right, in repentance, but also good works. Saving faith may doubt, but, but the doubt is never bigger than the faith. And it's never more persistent than the faith. Saving faith not only hears the word, but actually does the word. Something we're taught in Matthew 7. In verse 18 of James 2, we're reaching a crescendo here. James says, but someone will hear this. And some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith, my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Even the demons believe that and shudder. So now he's speaking to a particular type of Christian. Those are, the, those are the Christians who think, you know, Christians are kind of like Skittles. You know, just different flavors. You have some faith Christians, some works Christians, you know. Just a, he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't get off that easy. There aren't different flavors of Christians. He's speaking to every single Christian here. He's saying, every single Christian, your faith is demonstrated by your works, right? Now, a bit, a bit of context. Uh, he's speaking here to, remember, a, a predominantly Jewish culture. Right? Or, or, or Jewish church. And actually, now, they were definitely Christians. They were Christians, right? But, but they had come from the Jewish tradition. So they would have been familiar with the Shema, which is the Jewish prayer. Oh, uh, um, uh, what, what has it go again? Oh, Israel, um, there is one God, something like that. This, this, this is something they believe they hold dearly. And it was a way to show the culture around that they weren't polytheists, but they really believed in one God. They didn't have many gods and idols. They believed in one God, right? And this is an important principle in Jewish culture. So here's what James says. He says, okay, even the demons can recite that prayer. Th that principle you hold dearly? Oh, Israel, there is one. He said, the demons say that as well. But as we learned in the start, what the demons can't do is have good works accompanying their faith. So he's saying, it's very possible to have dead faith. That's what demons have. You have been called to hire. You've been called to have an active, living faith. So then, how then should you think about faith and works? How? How? Well, what I would often think about is, you know, when I was young, guh, I'm still young, 
Just take my glasses off for this, for this section. When I was younger, I lived, uh, uh, one of the periods, uh, I lived in Thamesmead, I lived, I lived above a canoeing, um, uh, uh, indoor, no, it wasn't indoor rowing, it was a canoeing kind of place, whatever you want to call it, a, a canoe shop, a, a, a place you do canoeing, right? And I remember, because I, I, I played a lot of sports growing up, I've, I've said that a lot, and anything new and physical, I'm going to do it. So I got there, and I, I asked my mom, can I do canoeing? And she kind of looked at me and said, black people canoeing? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, I want to try it out. I want to try it out. Because I was that kind of kid. So, so <laughs> bless my mom. So she paid 20 pounds an hour for me to go canoeing. And I went canoeing and I, and I, and I would, you know, you'd, I would get there and, and I did it for a few months. I got pretty good at it. You know, you kind of, you know, you, you have, uh, you have two, or actually you have two, there's two different types of boats. There's one that you do this with and there's one that you have two different oars you can do that with. I'm going somewhere. I'm just reminiscing. Reminisce with me for a minute. And I used to just always do it. It was so much fun. And when I was thinking about faith and works, it kind of reminded me of being in the more advanced canoe where you get two different oars. One's faith, one's work. Now, if you only pull one of them, you might have the sensation of movement. But what happens is you just go in circles. You just do this. And you go in circles and you go in circles and you go in circles. But to really move forward with maximum velocity, guess what you have to do? You've got to pull both. You know, some of, the, some of us Christians, we, 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 our Christian lives can be, can be summed up like that. We're pulling one. We either live in this heightened religious place where we just, all we do is faith, just pray. Oh, Father Lord, heal. Father Lord, deliver. Father Lord, help. All these people who are sick, help them. But we never do anything about it. We just pray, we dust off our feet, and we go. And for us, our Christianity is a non-contact sport. We, we're so socially distanced from the suffering in the world that, that we just watch and go, oh, it's awkward. We, we see homeless people and go, oh, gosh, I hope they get... Do something about it. Pull the other oar. Otherwise, your life will be that circular motion. And equally, there are those on the other side. And all we do is work. We don't rely on God. It's all about us and what we're doing and how and and, and, the, and, the, and the, the endless Facebook post of just how how amazing and how hard we're working for God. And that's amazing. But that can't carry on forever. You have to rely on God. You need to rely on God. Because if you don't, you will burn out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the term, but you'll burn out quickly. Let's put it that way. And so what God has doing here through James is calling us out of these extremes and he's saying what well, 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 stop living in these different places and bear in mind we're not destined to go back and forth between the both instead James wants us to have a correct understanding right to understand here that that yes we're saved by faith but if it's real if it's authentic right it's going to lead to good works. It must lead to good works. I'm reminded of a, 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 a church in Tenerife because we just we, we were just on missions there not too long ago, and, I, and you know every time we go there, I reminisce on the stories. And five years ago, when I first went on missions there, they talked about this building they were trying to acquire, and it's called the living room, and it's on top of a strip club, right? And, 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 and opposite the strip club is all these sorts of different uh, uh, kind of clubs and where people go drink and they get drunk and they do all sorts of different things. And 
these, these group of people were sat in KFC one day and they were praying to God and say, God, we would love to have a building in the middle of this strip so we can pray for this strip, so we can evangelize on this strip. And so, of course, you know, they started praying, right? But they didn't just sit in KFC and just wonder and, and you know, and, and, and dream and pray. They started organizing as well, raising money, raising funds, having meetings, you know, and God used those two different things, their prayer, but also their efforts, and he married it, and guess what sits in that strip right now? It's a wonderful building called the living room, above a strip club, where every single uh, week, every single day or so, people are there praying for the strip, getting things done. It's a mixture. I, I, just a few years ago, God gave me a, a vision I always get scared when I say that, but, but he gave me a vision and said, Mike, I want you to start an organization and it's going to take you, um, it, it's, it's going to cost about 50,000 pounds to start it. Now I'm a young guy. I'm, you know, I'm very daring. I think I'm quite courageous, but that was a bit kind of like, are you sure God? 50,000 is a lot of money. But, but, but after doing all that kind of back and forth, I, I became kind of, you know, sure about it. And so I said, Let, let's raise this money. But you know, it took a lot of work. I used to have an afro that's now gone because of how much work it took. Honestly, I, I, it's because of that fundraiser. We had to work, almost as though there was no one on the throne, right? But we also had to pray because we knew everything depended on that. Until you can learn, until we as a church can learn that we have to definitely have faith. It's everything. But that faith must be accompanied by works. And when they marry each other, that's when we can do things to the glory of God. Until we get that, our lives unfortunately may resemble that of that man in the boat that's going around in circles. And as such, God, I want to pray for us right now. I want to pray for us, anyone who's listening to this. Father, it doesn't matter what extreme we're on. All that matters is that we know that we shouldn't be there. So God, I, I, I just pray right now that you would call us out of these extremes. You would call us out of our Christian bunkers where we turn a blind eye to suffering. Out of our Christian bunkers where we, where we, where we hold everything with a clenched fist because we're not willing to let it go. And God, begin to work in us the confidence, the knowledge, the truth. This thing that James clearly understood such that we could become those Christians, like the children of Issachar, who understood their times, like the Bereans, who, who understood the word and who could apply it. Father, we want to be those at the forefront of movements. We want to be those at the forefront of uh, aid. We don't want to leave it to people who have a warped view of justice. We want us, we, we want to be the ones. So God, help us. Help us, folks who don't know who you are, who's, who are listening to this prayer. I, I pray that they would be saved, that they would be able to, 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 to lay down before you, uh, to trust in the finished works of Jesus, right? right? But, but that their faith would be saving, active faith. And for as many who are being uh, 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 triggered, for want of a better term right now, Father Lord, I pray it's not just needless triggering. But actually what you do in their lives is awaken an active faith. One, one fire that set a light in them that cannot be quenched by anything. 
We pray, God, that we would be a church, not dead by James' assessment, but a church that was alive, a church that was living, that was breathing, that we wouldn't be just an organization, God, but we would be an organism, that we would be alive, we would be breathing, we would be living. God, we desire to follow the example of Jesus, who was perfect theology. Did you know Jesus' perfect theology? And even with his perfect theology, he met needs. He fed the 5,000. He gave water to, to those who were thirsty. He sat and healed the lepers. He sat with the downcast. He sat with those who were excluded from society. Father Lord, John 5, 19 lets us know he did that because that's what you do. And so God, by extension, we want to do that because that's what Jesus did. So God, help us. And God, as we move on through the series, continue to blow our minds with new knowledge, new nuggets, new truth about who you are. Thank you, Jesus, because you're so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>